We would be honored if you would join us. All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where, you know, I had this really snappy, amazing intro to talk about, and it just flew out of my head. You know, it, it, it just, it's gone. It's, I, I have nothing to say other than, hey, welcome. Thanks for coming back on the show. As soon you as know, Daniel I, I, remembers the snappy intro, we'll, we'll welcome you to take two. Yeah, no, no, no. I we're leaving this. You know, Heck I yes. had something spooky. Yes. I had something amazing, and it's gone. Yeah, that's okay. Sometimes things come. Sometimes things go. That's why, you know, Jody L. Milner has returned to the the show. For those of you that have heard or listened, or even those that haven't, you can go back and listen to those shows. Uh, she has a new book out. Uh, which is The Stone Bearer's Apprentice. So for those of you that haven't read the first book, The Stone Bearer's Betrayal, guess what? Now you have to go pick up both. Uh, because, well, she's a fellow ginger, and I demand it. I, no, no, I'm kidding. Just go do it, because it's it's a great read. Uh, so welcome, for you know, Jody, for returning, coming back on the show. Uh, tonight we've got Krebs, we've got Alton on the show. Scott has been here. Scott will return. Sometime, yeah. He, Eventually, you know, he's kind of like Slimer, you know, in, in Ghostbusters. He shows up, he disappears. He comes back, he goes away, and then he comes back. It, 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 I'm sure Scott will love that reference because he's a huge Ghostbuster nerd. Um, I still thought you were gonna say he shows up, makes a mess of everything, and then just vanishes. You know, that's kind of what Slimer does, doesn't it? You know, he just he just insulted Star Wars and then left. No, oh. you know, in all, no, in all just honesty, kidding, just kidding. Just no, kidding. no, no. In all, in all honesty, talking about the previous episode, like it was such a treat to have Scott back on the show yes, and to discuss Star Wars with him. It was, yeah. it was fantastic. And and folks at home, you know, you only get the audio side of it, but here we are in a Skype call, and especially with quarantine, it warms the cockles of our hearts to be able to see each other via webcam. And so when we're doing this. We're actually having a mm, virtual face-to-face conversation, and yes. I get to see Scott and all of his reactions, and his like, and his reactions are full body. They don't yes. just stop at his face. It's like head to toe. I just reacted to what you said, and I'm so excited to tell you how I agree or how you're wrong. It just sort of depends. Jeez, Krebs, stop teasing the people. We might have to eventually show our faces if you're not careful. You know, have you ever have you ever sat at a table? Uh, not even table. Christmas morning, you see all the other kids around you, and they see the presents, and they're so they're, they're shaking physically. Their arms are going; they they can't sit still. They're bouncing on their feet or, or on their butts, and they're just like trying. They're slowly bouncing forward, getting closer and closer to those presents. That's how Scott was every time we'd ask him a question, and he's like, "Yeah, whether it was exciting or infuriating, you could see Scott's emotions clearly. You didn't need to hear." It in his voice. You could just, even if you turned off all volume and just watched him, you could tell whether he was excited or <laughs> really upset with something. Um, that's how it is. And, and though it sounds like we might be like pseudo eulogizing him right now, the truth is Scott will be back in a future episode yes. Yes. to address further Star Wars conversations. But that is not today. That day is <laughs> no, not today. Not. Just, just that episode with Scott would have to be in 12 parts. And we've already recorded one. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> then, he, then he'd go back and add special effects and scenes to the first to the middle three or so. And he'd make it all my clunky. 
that would be that would be so awesome and, and so then Jar Jar would show up and we can't even explain that. You know, yeah. It's okay. It's okay. You know, it's okay. You know, Let's put it down and be courteous to our guest. Jody has been so kind to sit here and listen to us yammer for the goodness, last 40 minutes. Gentlemen. Yeah. And, and, I don't know if I you need to earn that title, I suppose. Yeah. All right. You boys you know, done geeking out? Yeah. Uh, never. That's why we have a show. Never, never, yeah. of course not. Of course, now, now Good. That, let's let's geek out together. Yeah. Now that Krebs Woo-hoo. has talked about Jar Jar, all I can see in my head is the Jar Jar Bink sucker. Oh, oh that horrible. Why you gotta do that? I, because we were all having such a nice episode. I know, but that's what popped into my head, and it won't. Alton's Star winning. Wars candy. Come on, give him a break. Okay, Star so Wars candy critical, after dark. The first critical question for Jody. Then, Jody, what is your number one forgotten piece of Star Wars merch that just has stood out in your head? Oh goodness, I think there was a really obscene water bottle at one point. Um, I think my brother had a pair of uh, like. Star Wars bed sheets back in the day. Oh yeah. But that was uh I never had any. I my my parents were determined for me not to turn into a geek and um did not turn out well, but uh for them at least <laughs> I I think it turned out fabulous. For, for the um for the sake of the audience, uh, based on our conversation before the show began, I think it would be safe to say that our dear Jody is a Trekkie. Is that true? Oh, I have to play both fields only because they're so different. It's really hard to commit to either one. Star Wars. Um, I, I no, grew no. up with Trek. <laughs> um, and so that was a bigger part of my childhood than Star Wars was. Um, but I do appreciate both. I'm I'm with you on that one, actually. My childhood was Star Wars, but constantly around me were my mom and my aunt and their hardcore Trekkies. And so I grew up in both universes. Yeah. It's such an card is my captain. Uh, Amen. Jody, you just unlocked my heart. It is just it's just such a pleasure to have you here this evening. I'm watching <laughs> Daniel shake his head in consternation, but for heaven's sakes, it's the right thing to do. I have you know, two it, captains. I have two captains. Mal, Pike and Mal, Mal and Reynolds. Solo. I believe his. I believe his name is pronounced Captain Tight Pants. Yep. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal, Dan. Yes. Yes. Uh, I grew up in a Trekkie home, and I'm sorry. It's always been Star Wars. I. W- I yeah. But that's good because it adds so much variety to our conversation. We can't always agree on absolutely everything. Yeah. Scott. I agree. I agree. <laughs> um, I just I just can't do Star Wars, Star Trek. It's just that's not my okay. thing. Now, there's some of the Star Treks that um, lose me. Like Deep Space Nine lost me. It was oh, too much politics. Um, I really did like Voyager. Voyager was fun. Um, loved uh, the, of course, the next next generation will be the starship um, that will take me wherever we need to go. And um, we just won't talk about the original series. Uh, how do you but feel about right. Disco? How do you feel about Discovery? You know, I haven't dived in to Discovery at yet. Um, we just barely started Picard. <gasps> And, and I there is Picard. such, there's such 
a well of stuff going on that it's yes. it's so complicated. And part of me is like, the, the storyteller in me gets very, very excited because I'm like, oh, look at all these beautiful threads that are being laid out. This is glorious. And my family's like, what's going on? I'm like, let me explain. Beautiful. Yeah. Dan, this episode is not about you. Stop grimacing. Jody is having a beautiful moment with the rest of us. I know, and I'm just biting my finger. It's okay. We will we will have, I'm sure, a deep dive on Picard at some future date after everybody's had a chance to watch it. Not a and euphemism. And I will definitively prove you wrong. You know, you will Absolutely. It's okay. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I, I love the Picard series. If I have any gripe, it's that they took a little too much liberty to lean it more rated R. Um, and given sort of the utopian nature of previous Star Treks, it was abrasive, but also given the scenario that they're in, nah, okay, I can I can see where they're coming from. I just, I kind of wish they hadn't taken it that direction because I kind of loved the, the uh, not not quite the naivete, but just, just the purity of previous Star Trek series. You know, you can have your war, you can have your politics, you can have your conflict, but I loved that they kind of rose above baser human uh, habits. I can definitely well, that was see like that. Roddenberry's dream, wasn't it? He wanted this to be like his space utopia, and then they're like, the audience isn't buying it anymore. And so they kept adding the grit, and they kept adding the politics, and they kept putting stuff in, and they're like, that's entertainment. Sorry. I think Truth. Picard just steps further into the maturing audience. Like, everyone who's now watching it's now full-grown adults, and more so. And, and, and- as much as I'm not a Trekkie, I have an answer for that. Because in First Contact, they went back and rewrote time. Well, they do that in, like, every series. There's always, there's at least one, at least one, yeah. time travel episode in every series. And in the case of Next Generation, there's a time travel episode in almost every season. So, well, I know, but yeah. First Contact completely rewrote Starfleet a little bit. So they, they can kind of get away with the way That's it true. is. Well, it was not that utopian. Any way to get Leonard Nimoy back in. I swear, yeah. it was in his contract. Time travel he has was, to have Spock. He, he has was to so show up important. Somewhere. He was so important that he had to come back and teach himself to be himself. Yeah. I love yeah. it. Yeah. And, before, and now but, Spock, Spock's out of the equation now. They can't pull the Spock card, which is very sad. Well, they can't pull the Nimoy Spock card. Yeah, they can't. They're going to have to... They have to evolve him into... Oh, who did the, the new Zachary Spock Quinto. Back? Yeah, 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 Quinto. I think he he nailed it in Enterprise. Oh, he was excellent. He did great. Yeah. Um. And and before we before we end up switching topics, before we get away from this, I know you haven't seen Discovery yet, but um, a good friend of mine is an actor on that show, and so of course I I jumped on it the moment it launched, and I have to say, their rendition of, uh, Captain Christopher Pike, is utterly phenomenal. Like plus, I'm a huge Anson Mount fan, and that's the actor they got to play. Go, you can't go wrong with Anson Mount. I'm sorry. You can't. You can't go wrong with Anson Mount. He's amazing, especially in in an authoritarian role. Um, so Picard, I share your sentiments. Picard is my captain. Um, I was post William Shatner, and uh, I have very specific, strong opinions about William Shatner, but um, Picard is my captain, and. Captain Pike very quickly is a close second for me. Hmm. 
interesting. Almost you convinced me to watch Discovery. But, you know, it's kind of interesting, though, because these types of fandoms, they create very polarizing opinions within people, partially because the stories that we tell are manifestations of who we are and the stories that we want to tell. Um, and so it's always interesting when we bring guests on, and even when we, you know, talk with each other about these types of things to see the way that things kind of evolve and the way that they've shaped how not only we consume media, but also how we create our own stories. Um, and I know this is kind of putting the spotlight back onto you, Jody, but was Star Trek one of those kind of fundamental driving forces for you to become a storyteller or what were kind of the inciting pieces for you? Ooh, that is a very good question. So um, as much as I kind of grew up on Star Trek, uh, grow, I, I was going to totally repeat myself, excuse me. Um, I was uh, an awkward kid, and so books were kind of my refuge. And so I read out the entire young adult section of the library uh, growing up. I read everything. Um, and so watching all the building blocks come together in all of those books and then seeing it come across on the screen was always just very fun. Um, but I was also a red dwarfer. <gasps> and that that was more fun to me like i think that was more shaping than star trek even oh that makes me so happy <laughs> so yes i so, that is like the true geek flag right there if i can find fellow red dwarfers then we absolutely have to like be oh, complete so, friends so what was the oh, piece yeah. of that that really got those gears turning well it was when they turned like the sci-fi on its head, because it seems like sci-fi always have to, has to be serious and it always has to have, you know, plots that have meaning and there has to be some sort of huge amount of growth. And we have Red Dwarf walk in here and we have the stupidest of all characters and they're very much like <laughs> people we know. And watching them do sci-fi, I don't know why, it just tickles something. And, like, the plots are still complicated, and the storytelling is still good. But it's like the Terry Pratchett of, like, space films. It's it's just goofy. And, I don't know, it just, it's really funny. And then they did the stupid season on this prison ship, and they lost me. But up until that point... Yeah, I point, saw that. I was, um, yeah, I would, I would stay up late on Saturday nights to watch it on whatever it came on PBS. Yeah. The first, the first three seasons are just gold. Uh, they're just, they're, they're fantastic. Or the first, I think it was actually maybe the first two seasons, but British seasons are a lot smaller than American seasons. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I would think, I think it's the first three seasons that I just adore about Red Dwarf. For those who may not know, Red Dwarf is like if Hitchhiker's Guide got a huge two by four of utter hilarity slammed into it. In addition to the already comedic presence that Douglas Adams threw in there. Uh, Doug Douglas Adams is very, very, very dry British humor. But if you understand that humor, then it's extremely funny. Um, Red Dwarf does not require you to have that level of, of British comedic sense. It's, it's a bit more universal in its comedy, but it is utterly phenomenal. Um, so, so that, so I like what you said about how it, it you know, it, it took some, it took the orthodox and, and, and found its foil and that inspired you. How does that then translate into your work? We're talking specifically about stone, about the stone series, but, but, um, part of me wonders if, 
I think some other work had to come first before Stone Bears. Would that be accurate? Um, I've had a bunch of shorter works and short stories. And when I started being serious about writing, there was a certain amount of seriousness that happened. Um, and so I was like, let's make some sort of thing with a whole lot of angst and meaning. Um, and so I have some speculative fiction that's a little heavier. Um, but my writing took after... I'm going to completely contradict myself. I just realized that. Um, Keep going. Like, you're doing great. Yay. Perfect. Let's do this. Um, all my favorite things from all the books I read always tended to gravitate towards a couple main things. And one of that was um, the presence of magic, because I think magic just adds flavor and sparkle and glitter to everything. And it can be a very beautiful, power, powerful thing when wielded correctly, as we've learned from Star Wars. Um, I threw you a bone, Daniel. I totally did. See, you could have you could have reached out for the Q continuum and how Q evolved over the seasons, but no, you had to go Star Wars, and we love that about you. See, I I want to be an inclusive. I want to be super inclusive for you. I'm I'm sorry, we got to sidetrack this whole conversation. Q, John John Delancey is smirking at us right now. I swear. Who even save? No, no. Q's fun. I liked Q. Q had an amazing character arc over time, but it took a long time to get Mr. there. Mr. Miss Pidlick is a much better character than Q. <laughs> I disagree. And we should have an episode about it. We should, we should have a Scott Silver uh, flavored Who, episode. Wait, Q or Mr. Miss Pidlick? Yeah. And you try saying that three times fast. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> well, and then Anywho. when... When Delaney voiced the My Little Pony character, yeah, the the, the circle was complete there. Absolutely. Anyway, <laughs> so, going back to what yes, we were please. talking about before I interrupted myself. Right. Um, so I had all these really these things that I, I loved when I found in fiction. And usually it was a story of survival and usually it had magic. And usually there was some great overarching evil that needed to be conquered and so I started gathering all these tiny pieces of storytelling that I felt really, really compelling. And I'm like, I would love to make something that has all those pieces in it and then my special twist on it. And so I started hammering out Stone Bear's Betrayal, but I had no idea how to write when I was doing it. Um, and so it took 10 years, like 10 very, very long years of picking away at what worked and what didn't work. And it was like building a house by starting with the chimney. Like I had to knock <laughs> that sucker down so many times and renovate and move walls and like reshape the foundation. And so it took a very, very long time, but I consider that the best part of my education when I, when I learned about all of this character stuff and setting stuff and story arc stuff, you know, the stuff that makes books good. Um, I had a crash course in it as I'm like, I would love these ideas to be compelling and wonderful and beautiful. And I don't know how to do that. And so I would go in and I would learn about it and then I'd start writing. Um, and I start revising again and, and now we're here. And do you find that because you've gone through that process, um, when you consume your favorite media now, you know, having that decade pass, um, are you finding those types of interesting patterns coming from the 
media that you used to love or has your media tastes evolved? Well, it's kind of like if you see a magic trick and you're like, that's amazing. I would love to figure out how, the, how to do something like that. And then you learn how to do the magic trick and you can never see the magic trick the same way again. Cause mm. now you're not embracing it with wonder. You're embracing it with a very analytical eye and saying, Oh, well he did it this way. And that's really cool. You know, this form of sleight of hand versus I married a magician. Did we mention this? No, but I can dig what? it. What? No. Tell us he's more. No longer, he's no longer a magician. Um, I don't even but think I when, that. Oh, no. did, did, did the ministry take his license? Well, <laughs> you know, um, there's a whole muggle issue going on right now, and we have to be, like, on the down low. So he had to get, a, like, a regular job with software and all that, um, which is a different Little kind magician. of magic if you really think about it. Yes, absolutely. Um, but we actually did birthday parties as newlyweds. Um, I would be Hermione and he would be Gilderoy Lockhart and we would put on birthday party magic shows, um, growing up, which growing up that, no, we were newlyweds. We were kind (laughs) of done with that part. I mean, there's still plenty of growth to happen. I get a little loopy. So, um, I can So you married a magician. I did. But and and but but like you said earlier, like even from the time of your youth, magic, the concept of magic, the concept of the ethereal and natural forces has always appealed to you. Absolutely. And, and as I read through the descriptions of your your current novels, The Stonebearer's Betrayal and The Stonebearer's Apprentice, if we haven't dropped those titles enough times already, um, oh, of course there is there is magic, and and as is. Fair, as is fairly common in magic type stories, it is a natural force where the wielders are sort of artisans who have found a tool as opposed to the source of that power. Is that an accurate statement? Yeah, absolutely. It's something that's learned. It's something that's mastered. Um, and my special twist on it, which I might have stolen from Highlander with Adrian Paul. I, don't I love it. Go on. That yes. <laughs> that um, so the idea. Absolutely. That can be. Um, Christopher Lambert was kind of a joke, but I kind of um, had a girl crush on Adrian Paul for a very long time. Everyone does. Um, He was a very good looking man. Um, The idea of immortality and how that affects people was also one of those little story nuggets that I had carried around for a really long time. And so when I had time to like finally create these stories, I'm like, we have got to have you know, these immortal characters that have had hundreds of years to master this, you know, this magic and this power. What is it about, what is it about that concept, that idea of immortality that kind of piques your curiosity or or ignites that spark? I think it, it kind of encompasses the idea of possibility like what what is the biggest lament that most people have i don't have enough time i would love to do this i don't have enough time what if you did have enough time to to develop this mastery and of of all of these different fields that you found fascinating um you know what would you do with your life then um and there's a flip side of the coin because you know there's there's a huge cost to living that long you know people who are not immortal that you come very close to you have to watch die 
And so there's an innate um, pack of emotions that go with it. So you have kind of like this un otherworldliness to them, but you also have this incredible amount of pain that they have to carry around because they've had to go through so much. And mm. that's very compelling. So go ahead, Krebs, sorry. So when when you wrote uh, Stonebearer's Betrayal, which is the first book in the series, um, what – I'm trying to figure out uh, – forgive me. I'm trying to feel out what the right question is. Um, I, I usually ask this of every author. Normally when we're writing characters, we are taking some slice of our own persona. Um, even when we're writing villains, we're often diving into a part of us that we keep chained up or hidden. Um, but we also find that we often have to write characters that are our foils or, or our polar opposites. So which character did you identify with most? Which one is most you and and just came to you? Or, or let, let me rephrase. I'm sorry. Which character wrote itself so naturally uh, as you were writing? And which character was the hardest character, the most difficult for you to put to paper? So there's there's a large cast of characters uh, with within the book, um, and when I first wrote it, I found the story of um, Katira's father a little bit more compelling than hers, and so the first book, the first try when I was learning, um, most of the book was written from his perspective um, because he felt very very natural uh, to me. For some reason, his story spoke louder to me. But as I learned more about good storytelling, I realized that his daughter had more at stake and she had more to lose. And she had a lot more of an emotional journey to go on in comparison. And she was such a little brat to write. She did not want to come on the page <laughs> at all. And she would not behave. And I could not like even picture what she looked like. Um, for the longest time, I finally had to go and like image search. I'm like, I've got to find my girl. Um, and, and does that obstinance fit her character as she is written on the book? Like, like, is she that way in the book? She's, she's fairly level headed, but I want to say she's spicy. Like she gets feisty sometimes because people do dumb things and she does not tolerate idiots. And that's very much me. Because if someone's being intentionally willful and stupid, like, it drives me crazy. So driving right now in Utah um, has been a unique pleasure. I swear no one's patience is here anymore. Everyone forgot how to drive. Um, it's horrible. Yes, so, yeah, she gets her willfulness from me and a little bit of her um, just not being able to put up with people being dumb. And so her poor love interest, she kind of rakes across the coals because she doesn't know what to do with him. And I didn't know what to do with him. So in the first book, her poor love interest is kind of like he's a sofa. He gets dragged around from place to place, but we don't really know what to do with him. He's trying so hard to not be a sofa. <laughs> My wife ha and I have a similar term stolen from a, a Ryan Reynolds movie. We we refer to non-romantic options as lamps. Nice. <laughs> so no so then Deadpool would it? Uh yeah right no 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 it was not Deadpool. 
Um, it was it was an older film. It was called Just Friends. Hey, um, I remember that. movie. I love that movie. We watch that. That's one of our Christmas movies we watch every year. That's one of the uh, few, uh, Ryan Reynolds movies where you can see him as a fat guy. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Actually, um, okay. I have to so put that on my list. Please, please do. It is it's on Netflix right now. Is it? Oh. Yes. All right, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We went we went down a Ryan Reynolds path. Um, that's sorry. dangerous. It is dangerous because it's wonderful every time. Um, so so what was it about the story in uh, Betrayal that needed to be written? You know, you you had written some other works, some other works that were categorically different in certain ways. You had this character; she's the main character in your final work, but she wasn't the initial main character. Uh, when you first started and you had to tear down the chimney and rebuild again, um, that tells me that there was some impetus. There was some driving force that said, no, this isn't the story to tell. Here's the story. To tell. You already said that, like, well, she had more to lose. So what about this story? What what aspect of the story compelled you to write this to completion, take it to publication and spread it to the world? I don't know if it was the story itself or if it was me challenging myself where I've always like, like I said, books were hugely important to me um, growing up and almost transformative. And that was what I fell back on. And it felt so natural to start slipping into the, well, if they helped me become the person I am, how can I return the favor? And all of a sudden, this idea of taking all these ideas and creating this story um, came into pieces. And so, um, my train of thought again, goodness, <laughs> I was going somewhere fantastic with that. Give me a sec. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. So, um, I always wanted to do um, just a fantasy story that would be something I would love and something that had all the little pieces that I really liked. Um, and so it was really difficult to start piecing together Katira's story out of all of these little tiny pieces. And, and it wasn't until the last year where I'm like, oh my gosh, this girl actually has something to say and she has this story of survival that she needs to get through. And she has this future ahead of her where some really amazing things need to happen, but I need to lay down the pathway for her to get here because, you know, it's an origin story. It's got to happen. So being able to like put the pieces in place so she could gain what she needed to gain to get to the end game, which is, what I'm writing right now, and it's very exciting, um, became very fulfilling. And uh, it, it started driving itself. So it started as me wanting to write a book because books were so important to me and turned into um, its own story that took on its own life. And now it's like, it's going to make me finish it. I absolutely love that. <clears throat> you know, and it's, it's, it's so difficult sometimes to start down those paths because you, you have this thing that you love and you want to see it come into reality. But then just like you said, you know, you're tearing it down and rebuilding it and tearing it down and rebuilding it. And the thing that you set out to do, the core of it is still there, but it feels so frustrating. 
But then when you finally have that breakthrough moment and you're like, oh, got it. That that has got to be, I mean, I know it is for me, but I'm sure it's a hugely fulfilling thing for you to now start to see some of those pieces falling into place and helping to propel not only the story, but your excitement to finish that story. Absolutely. So then, it, uh, yes. Yeah. So then with, with that being the case, um, you know, stories, stories do eventually end. even stories that deal with topics of mortality and immortality and magics beyond the mortal can. And, as you are working through and developing this further, have you uh, been inspired by the things that are happening to start to think about other projects or other short stories or things on the side that you are finding an interest in developing? There's always projects on the horizon and some of them are very, very shiny and they really, really want me to go and dive in and other other ones are like, this is for a like a magazine or um, an anthology that you always wanted to be part of, but you haven't written something yet. Um, and so sometimes it's because the story is waiting for me, and sometimes it's because there is an opportunity that's waiting. Um, and they're both compelling in different kinds of ways. So one of the projects that is kind of simmering in the background um, is something that Daniel and I have actually been working on that's all about uh, a pair of redheads, not pairs, just one, um, and this relationship they develop with the dragon. Um, and it starts out where they're just terrified that they're going to be eaten by the dragon. And so the whole thing is about how not to be eaten by a dragon. And um, it's super, super cute. It's going to be for a middle grade audience. And we both have young kids. And so it's just perfect. So that's one of the ones that's on the background that we um, are going to finish up the sequel in the next few months and work on trying to get out into the market. Um, I have a, another set of stories that I would like to build in the same universe as um, this Shadow Barrier trilogy, um, but in a different part of the map. Um, so a whole new set of characters, a whole new villain, a whole new problem to solve. Jody Milner, are you building up to a crossover? Am I building up to a crossover? Oh, goodness. There's a possibility. <laughs> <laughs> mm. come on Krebs I, no I leading actually, questions I know right no I actually <laughs> I, I I super adore um series multiple series in the same universe where cleverly and well done they can intersect um even if it's some through some tertiary element right so um just just putting that out there just in case <laughs> <laughs> If I haven't already invaded your your storyboarding techniques here, but um, you, if I can just jump back a little bit into the interview, just a little bit, um, you, you said that you found books to be transformative in your youth. That 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 you you found that these books had power and that they changed you. Is there a single book that you could say had the most impact on you, or the most important impact on you? 
Ooh, that's like asking me to pick a favorite kid. That's not fair. That's easy. We're. I mean, wait a minute. <laughs> Actually, we all have a favorite one, but it just we comes and goes from day to day. It, yeah, it depends on which day it is. <laughs> oh, goodness. There, There's a whole handful of books that I think um, were super relevant, but at different times. Um, when... Let's see, in high school is when I got into both Terry Brooks and Robert Jordan, and mm. both of them have written lots and lots and lots of pages worth of books. Um, and so I spent a lot of time in both of those worlds um, while I was trying to figure out the whole, you know, turning into an adult kind of thing, which was very scary and awkward. Um, I did not teenager well. <laughs> um, some people seem to like, they, they figure out how teenagering works and those are the people who like, really like high school. And I felt like I was always five years behind uh, everyone else. I'm like, okay, um, I don't know how to do any of this. And all these people are kind of scary. Um, and so falling into a story where you'd have someone who might start awkward and they might start not knowing how to do things. And over the course of their story or their book, they all of a sudden gain the skills that they need and they can overcome their big project or big problem. Like I say, after eight, <laughs> some of the words get lost. Um, that was encouraging. It's like, well, they can get over these big problems and the solution wasn't because they had magic it was because they had grit and determination and the power is in you um <laughs> that they could get through that and so um and so pinpointing one specific book that did that's hard because they almost all do that in a way and the ones that don't you just get mad at mm. i love that so much i mean it's 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 a beautiful thing to be able to take those moments in our own lives and to be able to learn from those stories and then grow into something great and be able to share that with others. We, we need more authors. We need more storytellers and people with bravery to be able to enter those worlds and, and flesh them out so that others can come and enjoy it. And, and I'm really, really glad that you made it into blossomed into beautiful adulthood so that you could share some of that with everybody else. So True story. Um, so then with, with that being said, right, we've spent a lot of time in super heavy, deep diving, soul searching, uh, crushing and analyzing all of the roots of your work, but surely there must be things that you do when you are not working and when you are not actively thinking about the stories that you're writing, what, what are the things that you do to recharge that help to, uh, you know, re refresh you and bring you into the next phase? We already talked about that. She watches Star Trek. She performs <laughs> magic. <laughs> she studies yes. magic. Usually I'm disappearing from my children, but that's, that's a special acquired skill. <laughs> um, and they figured it out. So they will find you. Um, so with this whole stay at home thing, it's been it's been very frustrating because I, I, I don't like going out a lot, but I like the possibility of going out. 
And so having that taken is is not my favorite, but um, we've been enjoying camping a lot as a family, just getting away from the city and getting away from people and laundry and the house has been something that we've really enjoyed. We went down to Grand Canyon last year and um, toured Hoover Dam and scared people like with how steep the drop off is at some of the parts of the rim of the Grand Canyon. Some of us don't do well with heights. Apparently Mm -hmm. I do do okay with heights. So I was like the designated tour guide for, you know, I call my youngest shark bait sometimes (laughs) because (laughs) he's the one that's going to get eaten by a bear or a shark or a man-eating spider uh, because this child has no fear. And so he was like standing on the edge and I'm the one that's like gently hurting him back. And, you know, my, my husband doesn't do well with heights. And so he's like quietly hyperventilating um, and trying not to freak people out by being the, the one dad. But there were there's just moments where it's just like, yeah. So we like exploring and seeing new things. And uh, we take our little RV to all sorts of crazy places all over the map. Um, so we do exploring, um, when I'm home and lately this has been more important than ever, but I do like working out in my yard. Um, I like growing stuff in my garden and making it pretty. Um, I really, really like birds that, um, I have some feeders out my backyard and like every time a bird comes up, it's like, oh, this is a, you know, an American goldfinch or this is a purple throated sparrow or whatever. Mm. Um, and so I, I, I might be a tiny bit of a birder that I'm just bird brained. It's it's hard to tell some days. <laughs> well, this is I mean, th- these are all great answers. Don't get me wrong. But I read through your bio and you it says, and I quote, an avid student of the interesting and obscure. Jody has an unhealthy fascination with medical science. So okay, I. Yeah. So, so you're you're an avid student of the interest in the writing thing. So that feels too close to what we're talking about. We wanted to branch out into the mundane, so we did that. Um, Okay, but it's if you're an avid student of the interesting and obscure, what interesting and obscure things, in addition to medical science, uh, have you been a student? I am fascinated with brain science. And I guess that's closely tied to medical science, but I feel psychology and medicine often don't agree with a lot of things. Um, And so um, we have some unique challenges in our family um, from spectrum to ADHD type things. And so figuring out how people tick on um, a psychological level has been just one of those fascinations that I can't let go of. And so um, lately I've been writing medium articles that kind of takes grains of that and grains of like writing and grains of um, pop science. Um, And I've been posting those up on medium and I just got one published today. Yay. Um, Congrats. Congrats. So yeah. And they got curated in a bunch of different topics. So I'm super happy with it. And it's all about lucid dreaming because I had a period where I was uh, researching a lot of lucid dreaming because dreaming is cool. And um, it is one of those odd functions of the brain that no one's quite figured out. And so went down a research rabbit hole for lucid dreaming uh, which was fun. Taught on that one a couple times at a couple different places, just because if I'm going to learn it, I might as well share it. 
So yeah. took that one to some conferences, uh, took that one to a Parkinson's center of all places. Oh, wow. Uh, and shared about the science of sleep and the science of how we can manipulate sleep um, and use it as a tool. So that was a really fun rabbit hole to fall down. Um, I taught myself Rubik's cubing um, not too long ago, just because I thought it would be really cool to be able to solve one. Um, it was like a bucket, bucket list item. So How'd it go? Uh, I can do layer by layer, and I can solve it. And I think my best time is 221. So it's not record not breaking, but no. it's very doable. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I hate those things. Uh, I, you I have just to have the right cubes. kind of cube. I've learned um, Mice, if you have a sticky hard cube with the stickers that slide around, that just takes all the joy out of it. Yeah, True. my son can, it doesn't matter how many times I turn it, I can hand him one that's completely messed up and he can solve it behind his back in eight seconds. That's insane. Yeah, he, he's learned an algorithm for it. He's got so many. He's got like a 12 by 12, and he figures those things out. And I just, wow. yeah, I remember having one of those as a kid and just deciding, I hate this so much. I'm smashing it with a hammer, and I've never picked up another one since. <laughs> so, well, my and goal through the power of YouTube now, it's, yes, they're just not fun. It's slightly easier to learn because someone's actually showing it to you, and they have infinite patience. It's called the pause button. I, I, yeah, I'd my, rather yeah. write a hundred thirty thousand word book. <laughs> my my older brother is like your son, Daniel, and he is he is like a a Rubik's cube master. He gets all these different shapes and sizes. Yeah. It's not just cubes, you know. And oh, yeah. um, he, and when I was in the sixth grade, so yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I was in the sixth grade, he taught me how to stand uh, how to fig, how to solve a standard three by three cube. Yeah. And I used to be able to do it all the time. Now, I was never as fast as him, but. I, I found that I, I really enjoyed it. And it really was just a set of like, here here are patterns to memorize. Yeah. And that's one way you can look at it. But he is far more advanced than that. And and I've and I've since forgotten it and I can't do it anymore. And and so I actually envy you a bit, Jody, because I've been I've been strangely that this strange this topic comes up, I've been considering like relearning how to do that. So here's my challenge then, both to your son Dan, but also to you, Jody. And it comes with a little bit of story. Um, I spent some time in South America and uh, I, I served a mission for uh, the LDS church. And um, right. one of Where my in South America, uh, Chile, Santiago Norte. All right. Ar Argentina, Mendoza. Oh, que malo, que malo. Tenemos ah. <laughs> los mejores empanadas que tú. Ah, no, no, no es la verdad. What did you say? So. Okay, we, 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 are, we are about to start a fight. I was trying to be friendly and give a nice little challenge, and now all of a sudden, she's just down here insulting my pride, talking Dungeon trash Colors about... Radio. So Ugh. I just wanted to show you guys this. I know no one can see this, but this is the latest Rubik's Cube that he is working so on. So Dan is holding up effectively a D12, where every pentagonal side is composed of roughly 10 pieces. Yeah. Yeah. I love yeah. it. And so uh, he solves this thing in 20 seconds. Behind his insane. Back, behind his back without looking at the dumb thing. And I'm just like, no. 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 <laughs> so so Alton, so your challenge to Dan's son and to yeah. Jody. Go. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. So so while I was down in South America, um one of my one of my roommates there um was huge into Rubik's cubes 
and his whole thing was that he liked to create patterns on the faces. And um, I got called in to do clerical work um, for, for our mission down there, and they needed me to learn Excel. And so I taught myself Excel by building a spreadsheet that was all color-coded that was a Rubik's Cube solver so that he could plug a pattern into one of the faces and it would show what the faces around it needed to be in order for that to work. So my challenge to your son, Dan, and also to you, Jody, is <laughs> to learn how to create patterns and get good enough at it that you can start to generate multi-cube uh, pictures. Yeah, Because does. it's a cool, cool thing to watch people solve. Yeah, now he, he has to do it in Excel, Dan. You're right. He doesn't do it in Excel, <laughs> but he does the pattern thing. I, I just, you know, I'm sure listeners heard me start chuckling because you started, when I was down in South America, nothing good happens in South America. That's like, like, <laughs> it's oh. like starting a story of, well, when we went to Vegas. Okay, Jody, uh, now you and I are on the same camp. team. We're friends again. Yeah. Or one time at band camp. Yeah. Um, no. Uh, it is amazing what people can do with Rubik's Cubes. Um, it's it's not something that I can do. But I can write stories. I can paint. I can draw. Uh, I can talk. I can, I can make a podcast. But I cannot solve these. These drive me nuts, and I just want to take a, a hammer to them and obliterate them into a thousand pieces. So yet, and yet. No, no, no. Yeah, I, I, no, I don't want to. I don't. No. Um, I would rather go on a quest into some ancient pyramid in South America, where <laughs> there are, there are skeletons and spikes and traps and there's a golden object on this obelisk and i, I hate have snakes to, i have to yeah and, and snakes uh, yeah i'd rather do that than, easy there indie uh, then learn know, right yeah, yeah yeah you see you see elton for dan rubik's leads to anger and anger leads uh, to hate and hate yes. leads to suffering hate leads to suffering <laughs> it is true uh, and so, so but i do have enough red lightsabers to make that viable <laughs> So I know we don't have too much time left, Jody, but through all the twists and turns and talking about you and your books and your passions and the things that have taken us here, if you could leave one message to the people out there, what message would you leave? Oh, shall I steal from one of the best sci-fis of all time? Please do. Yes, I shall. Never give up. Never surrender. <laughs> yes! Yes! <laughs> yes! Best Star Trek movie ever. Did you watch the um, I watched documentary? the documentary. I did. Okay. I did. I watched it the other day, too, with Tasha. I love it so and much. And it's brilliant, and yes. it makes my heart feel things. Well, Jody, I think you uh, have just entered the uh, Dungeon Crawlers Hall of Fame with a glowing recommendation uh, if somebody wants to find your books, where can they find them? Uh, you can find me on Amazon. Um, easiest search is Jody L. Milner. Um, and then the two books that are up are Stonebearer's Apprentice and Stonebearer's Betrayal. You can also find me at my website at jodylmilner.com. And there's about a dozen other places, but and, we'll stick and with that. When can we expect the third and final book in your Shadow Barrier trilogy. 
I have a noble and lofty goal to have it done and published by the end of November of this year, which really? is crazy because I just barely put two out um, like two weeks ago. But it's written. I just need to edit and polish and then um, work with my editor and make it a thing. Yeah, you're going to beat me. Yeah, I'm gonna be <laughs> absolutely. We are all excited for your. If success. you already have the draft of three done, yeah, I'm toast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's been done for a while. That's what Nano's for. Yeah, yeah. I, I I had to skip Nano. Yeah, life was crazy. But hey, I gotta. I I I only have a hundred and ten thousand more words to write. Yeah, and I also have a bonus novella that's written but not edited. Hmm. Because reasons. That's like my secret pet project now. Yes. Yes. So, for those of you that... Uh, just dating. Going to repeat this. Go pick up uh, Jody's book. Both fantastic pieces of, of fiction. You will enjoy them. Um, if you are a fellow redhead, you just need to do it. Because Jody is a fellow redhead. And you just need to... You need to do help. Just uh, unite. Yes, Gingers Unite. Absolutely. Um, but most importantly, you know, after you've read the book, leave a review. That really helps. Uh, you know, please be kind. Don't leave a jerky review. I hate it when people leave jerky reviews. You know, if you're going to leave, if you, if you don't like it, be constructive. Constructive criticism is awesome and amazing. Even if you don't like it, that's helpful. Um, but leave reviews because that really helps authors. So I'm getting off my soapbox now. Uh, with that said, Ooh, I had one tiny thing. Shush. Yes. Yes. I know. I shushed you. Um, I have a free story on my um, my website. Uh, there's a free short story. Um, so if you go to my website and look for the free short story, I would love to give you all a freebie. Look at that. You're getting a freebie. Woo! And, and it's not okay, like sorry. little bad freebies. It's this is awesome. It's a good freebie. Yes. So, um, yes, go to Jody's site, pick up the freebie, read through it, see if you enjoy her writing, and then go buy the, her, her books. It's perfect. It's something you can buy, you can go pick up now. And then by tomorrow morning, you'll be so hooked uh, and obsessed that you want to pick up the, the, the two books and she'll get two cells. And then you'll want to buy them for your kids. So you need a second copy because your kids are going to ruin your copy. So you don't want to give them to their to them. And then so, you have to have one for the bathroom. That's important yeah. for guests. You know, and, mm -hmm. and then you need your camping additions. So the one in the car. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and don't forget the one for the study, the one that you just put up so that you show that you're an actual intellectual. Mm, yeah. Yes. First edition hardback signed, please. That way yeah. it looks all perfect and nice. And then you can bend up yours all you want. Unless you're and then you need to get the third edition when it comes out with all the errata. That's important to get. You know, and if you do this <laughs> enough, then Jody can produce the special limited edition leather bound version. Which and then George happen. Lucas comes along and adds new scenes. That's all. <laughs> oh, I was joking. And was with joking. that, we have come full circle, friends. <laughs> yes, we have. <laughs> so, folks. Uh, yeah, you know, support Jody. Pick up a copy of the book. Uh, pick up a free that, that free story. See if you like uh, how she crafts and... Uh, tell a story, and if so, pick up a copy. And as always, we'll catch you next time. And remember, dungeon crawlers, tell your story, whatever may come.
end, my dear internet, be epic and don't suck. Remember, the Force will be with you always.